We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I may have a shot. It's not clean. Repeat, I do not have a clean shot. There's a tunnel ahead. I'm gonna lose them. Can you get into a better position? Negative, there's no time. Take the shot. I say take the shot. I can't, I may hit bond. Take the bloody shot. Agent down. Hello and welcome to another edition of Final Review. The name's Claudio. Andrew Claudio. And on today's show, with No Time to Die hitting theaters this weekend, it made sense specifically for one of us on this podcast, which we will get to him in a second, to celebrate the beloved, the infamous franchise of James Bond movies by going back to 2012 and a very interesting and celebrated and very popular take on the James Bond character known as Skyfall. I believe this is the 23rd movie, James Bond movie, Oz, is that correct? It's the 23rd in the proper canon, but you have to think about how you consider the other Casino Royales and the uh, Never Say Never Again Thunderball remake, so it's tough to count. So you answered that exactly how I wanted you to, talking about the James <laughs> Bond canon when referring to the all the movies that exist in this universe. Oz, just flat out, how excited are you personally to talk about James Bond for the next two hours? Well, as Ozerowski, Bernard Ozerowski for today, <laughs> I'm <go>. extraordinarily <laughs> excited to talk about it. I, I perhaps spent a good deal of my last semester in college writing about the reflections of Western US and UK Soviet relations uh, as they appear in James Bond movies uh, for you know how I wrapped up my college career. So there is a 
a, a deep passion here for the James Bond cinematic universe, and I am very excited to engage with one of its its best entries in Skyfall. Yes. Now, before we get into Skyfall, I just have to ask, why is this your favorite film franchise? Or is that an accurate representation that the James Bond movies are your favorite? I, I think they are. And I don't know because it's strange because there are a bunch of these movies that I think are very bad. Uh, there, are, there are probably, let's take the 25 main ones. There are like eight of them that I think are just dog shit movies. But there's something, uh, there's sort of an essential cool about them. I saw GoldenEye. I'd probably, my, my parents argue about what the first one I saw was. It's probably either License to Kill or Living Daylights. Very inappropriate for a two or four year old to see in a theater at the time, but whatever. I distinctly remember seeing GoldenEye when I was 10 years old. And it just, it left an impression on me. It, it clicked for me in a way that I, I think maybe only Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade has. It's one of the most formative movies and why I love this stuff. And every single year, the annual James Bond marathon on a lot of times on Spike, sometimes on USA, on whatever cable channel it hit in a given year, it, it became my obsession. I, I would watch it every single time. And I, I came to realize that while the Bond movies themselves are not necessarily perfect, and a lot of times are very flawed, they, they really serve as an interesting window into what's happening, not just in Hollywood, which they do. When Kung Fu stuff is cool, you know you're going to get James Bond doing Kung Fu stuff. When one-shot action scenes are cool in movies, let me tell you, No Time to Die has some killer one-shot <laughs> really? action scenes. Okay. Um, that's that's how it works. Bond sort of reflects what the industry is doing. Bond also reflects a, a much greater purview of, of the views of society. It reflects how the U.S. and the West are interacting with I was the Soviets. going to say, you're about to defend your thesis on the pod I'm today. Not, I'm not, I'm not, we're not, not going to dive deep into the political notions of the Bond movies, but it really it really does. When, when relations are cold, you see a cold, hard, prickish Bond. When relations are warm, you see him fucking Russian secret agents as the love interest. Uh, it, look, when everything is hit detente and chilled and the Soviet Union has fallen, the wall has been, tor has been torn down, that's when we have Goldeneye and he's off doing Russian action scenes with a Russian Bond girl. It's just the it's there. There's something smart and savvy about the way the sort of Bond brand and Bond empire has always embraced what's cool and what's popular. Give or take a few missteps like only listening to the Beatles with headphones on as Connery drops in Goldfinger. You know, it's funny. I've been trying to think of the proper analogy to like appropriately articulate just how important and iconic James Bond is and what it means to the industry. And last night I was watching your Yankees get eliminated and you, know, like you can't tell the story of baseball without the Yankees, but more specifically, like the face of the Yankees throughout like baseball history in the 20s and 30s. It's Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig in the 40s and 50s. It's Joe DiMaggio, Yogi Berra. In the 60s, it's Mickey Mantle. In the 70s, like Thurman Munson, Whitey Ford, Reggie Jackson. In the, I guess Ford's earlier, but like Sparky Lyle. Like you, I only know that name because he played for the Yankees. In the 80s, they didn't win a lot, but Donnie Baseball. You knew who the first baseman of the Yankees was all the way until they started winning again in 96 with Jeter and Rivera. And like you only know who Jorge Posada was because he played catcher for the Yankees. And now you have this current iteration. And while they don't win as much, you know who Aaron Judge is because he plays for the Yankees. I almost wonder if a, an appropriate comparison 
is like James Bond is the Yankees of the industry. Like, you know who Roger Moore is because he was James Bond over any other character. You know who like the eras of movies and and of cinema are all broken down by who was playing James Bond and when. You know, some are more successful than others. Some are more beloved than others. And some are better than others, like just flatly. And yet the name James Bond has spanned generations to really become probably the most iconic character that gets recast over and over in this industry. This is like Batman, like Spider-Man, like Superman, except it's just a, a military agent in the in the British Secret Service, you know? Um, now, look, flat out, this is going to be the Beller Academy offense today. I'll be passing it to Oz a lot on this episode. But Skyfall, as we now transition qualifies for our show by hitting on all three major categories 92 percent on rotten tomatoes on 383 reviews five academy award nominations so two wins for sound editing and original song and at the box office it was the first james bond movie to gross over one billion dollars worldwide um people love skyfall and like you look at what shows up in 2012 with Skyfall, where it's like Academy Award winning director Sam Mendes, Roger Deakins, Thomas Newman, all of these best of their best of their at their craft people joining the Bond franchise. And when you watch these movies in succession, like I did this week to prepare, it is noticeable the uptick in quality when Skyfall shows up in 2012. But I ask you, Bond fan, what were your thoughts walking out of the theater? when you first saw Skyfall in 2012? I think there are two iconic Bond movies, and those are, are Goldfinger and Skyfall. And Goldfinger, you know, it's the, no, do you expect me to talk? No, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. It's just full of so many of the archetypes that came to define Bond movies for people. And then there's Skyfall. And Skyfall, in a lot of ways, sort of deconstructs and plays around with the mythos of Bond. And also adds this prestige, almost award bait element. As you said, all of a sudden we've gone from directors who are sort of, you know, feeling their way out through Hollywood or sort of workmen action directors to Sam Mendes, Academy Award winner for American Beauty and Academy Award hunter for lots of other stuff. <laughs> uh, you you have Thomas Newman, you have Roger Deakins, even down the line to the sound people. You have, you have folks in the sound branch there who, you know, have like 37 Academy Award nominations. They're the amount of talent that came on board to Skyfall is really, it's almost over the top. It's one of the most prestige bait action movies ever made. And what it did is it, I, I think it helped to give a sort of mainstream acceptance and mainstream gloss to look it, Bond is not some weird niche indie film. Let's be clear, but it gave it this sort of universal universal acceptance to the smartest film goers all the way down to the dumbest film goers. Everyone who goes to movies could find an element of Skyfall that was appealing to them. And I think it's one of the reasons that it is one of the most successful and one of the most revered Bond films. And to go a step further, like if you didn't see Quantum of Solace or Casino Royale before you saw Skyfall, like if you, if you skipped those two and then just showed up in 2012 to see this movie, I, I weirdly think you're okay. Like it's just a really good action movie. You don't need to have an attachment to James Bond or specifically to Daniel Craig's version of Bond in order to enjoy it. 
And yet, if you do watch them in succession, like I did with the rewatches this week, there is a clear uptick in quality when you go f- to from the incoherent action scenes and the editing in Quantum of Solace. I have no clue where anybody is during a single action scene in Quantum of Solace. It's all quick cuts and shaky cam. And I have no idea who's punching who, who's going through what window that I thought that window was already broken. That plane was in front of them. Now it's behind them. I have no clue where anybody is. And then Roger Deacon shows up in Skyfall. And it's these slow, long takes that really show you perspective of where everybody is at all times. Not even just in action movies, like with people driving. And you really get the scope of the Bond universe. Like, it really is like, Outside of the Bond universe, it transcends. I know a lot of people like you who love Bond love Casino Royale, but we chose Skyfall because I think by the industry standards, those that aren't the diehard Bond fans really look at Skyfall as the uptick in quality that I do as well. Is that fair? You hit something really important there, which is that usually Bond movies are derivative. You get... You get the grittier, harder action of Casino Royale because the Bourne movies were so successful and Die Another Day seemed like a shitty farce. You you get you get Kung Fu stuff in Bond movies because Bruce Lee and the Kung Fu TV show are super popular in pop culture. Asian action cinema hits, so they go get an Asian action director like Lee Tamahori to come in and make a movie. It's just it, it's it's what they've always done. They've stolen. And Skyfall is one of the first times there are other limited elements, but it is perhaps the time where Bond is the influencer. And when I watched Skyfall the other day, I found myself thinking, holy shit, Shang-Chi, which I loved, stole so much from this fucking movie. Like the skyscraper fight, I, I, I liked it in both. And watching it again, now watching them so close together, it is just stolen from Skyfall. And I can't blame them because it's, it's fucking great. But it, it's it's cool to see Bond be the lead on what works in a movie instead of Bond following, which is what the, the series has frequently done. So then us, are you ready? The podcast you were born to do, a final review of Skyfall. Assuming all of our listeners have a shaken, not stirred, clear beverage with a, a slice of fruit in it in front of them, then yes, I'm ready to go. It's not half bad. Just go over the name for it sometime. <laughs> Why didn't you call? You didn't get the postcard? You should try it sometime. Get away from it all. It really lends perspective. Ran out of drink where you were, did they? What was it you said? Take the bloody shot. I made a judgment call. You should have trusted me to finish the job. It was the possibility of losing you or the certainty of losing all those other agents. I made the only decision I could, and you know it. I think you lost your nerve. What do you expect? A bloody apology? The categories we'll be going through today are as follows. Sam Mendes, Daniel Craig, Javier Bardem, Judy Dench, Roger Deakins, Thomas Newman, uh, original song, film of 2012, films of the 2010s, and James Bond movies. It is appropriate to make Oz rank his top five James Bond movies at the end of this pod. Again, if you don't know basketball, I am a point guard that will be lobbing up alley-oops to his high-flying dunker today. Uh, this is this is going to be an, an episode featuring Mr. Ozrowski throughout this pod. We start, though, 
with Sam Mendes, the director of Skyfall, a top five Sam Mendes movie. So my rankings are interesting, and I'll say why when we when we get to them. But like again, Academy Award winner Sam Mendes becomes the director of a Bond movie, and I have to ask. What were your thoughts as a Bond fan when you heard that you were getting an, a director of this prestige to be the director of the next Bond film? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> there you go. That's really the the thought was, holy shit, we're getting an award bait Bond movie. And that's fucking crazy. And he, he didn't disappoint. I mean, look, Sam, Mend- Sam Mendes is sort of the classic British archetype of how a director comes up. He he made his name in stage, transitioned to screen, and makes very sort of austere prestige-y movies. They're movies that dads like as a general rule, and they're movies that old white Oscar voters like, even when they're a little more boundary pushing like American Beauty. Uh, there's still things that are comfortable enough for the sort of core Oscar voting audience. And to see him take on a Bond movie, it's it's incredibly exciting for someone who cares about this strange little series. So here's what I'll say about Sam Mendes. There's an interesting thing I noticed, specifically doing the rewatches this week and then putting my my list together that, you know, when I really think about it, we got to get to the actual list. So I'll save my thoughts for when it's my turn, but I hand it over to you, Oz. What are your top five Sam Mendes films? All right. So starting at the top, my number one, and this is not the conventional number one, and I'm okay with that. It's Road to Perdition. I thought you, you'd go that direction. Okay. I love I love Road to Perdition. I should have spent more time on it on our Goodfellas episode, and I, I regret not doing that. Um, I, I spent some time with it in the past week, and it is just so good. It's Maybe one of Tom Hanks's best performances. Daniel Craig is in it in a small role. It is a it 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 Paul Newman is in it. It's a mob movie done so stylishly and so epically, and with Tom Hanks playing against type as a mobster, it's just very very effective, very visceral filmmaking. My number two for Mendes is 1917, which is his war film opus. Which I think perhaps because it's such a dad movie, got a little unfairly. <laughs> tarnished it is in a a fake one shot for the entire movie but it is it is one of the most impressive cinematic feats i've ever seen unfortunately i i can't push you to see it in a theater right now but i saw it i saw it i i i'm going to be immodest for a moment i saw it in an early screening at the director's guild theater in new york full of all industry people and when you go to yeah when you go to when you go to industry screenings people are silent they don't make any noise they don't laugh they don't cry they don't do anything you guys lost your minds didn't you yeah people were losing their shit during 1917 and i spent the rest of that campaign season every movie i would go to after that was like an award bait movie that i was going to an early screening of people would talk about holy shit you have to see 1917 and to see the people who understand the craft of making movies best lose their mind about it that much really left an impact on me i understand there it's sort of a stock generic story but it is a it is an impressive feat of filmmaking. I love 1917. And the reason it got so unfairly shit on has nothing to do with the actual movie. It's because it won Best Picture at the Golden Globes and became the Best Picture frontrunner going forward. And when you're the Best Picture frontrunner that early, you become the target. So we can create the, well, is it actually that good controversy leading up to the Oscars? And drama needed to be created because people really, really wanted to see Parasite win. 
it I, I believe 1917 is a masterpiece in every sense of the word. It's on my list, but we'll get to it later. Go ahead, Oz. Glad we agree. Yes. Uh, my that. number three is my number three is Skyfall. Okay. Which is also excellent. It's wonderful. It's well made. One of the very finest Bond movies, but we'll talk a lot more about that. Mm-hmm. My number four. I, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to tell. There are only eight movies, but my number four is Jarhead. Okay. Which I I, I, I think is hilarious. I think it's a very smart, <laughs> incisive war, in some ways, you know, war drama, in some ways, war satire that I think is, it starts also, it's, it's part with Brokeback Mountain of Jake Gyllenhaal sort of finding his gear as a quality actor. Uh, I love it. And my five is Away We Go, which is perhaps his smallest movie. It's really just a road trip movie with John Krasinski and Maya Rudolph after they find out uh, they're having a baby. And it's just such a, it's such a calm, measured, low key. It feels very much like an indie Sundance movie. And I think it's, it's really interesting thinking about Mendy's career to see that on the one end, he can have something like Away We Go, which is about as small as movie productions get. To on the other end, something like Skyfall, which is a $200, 300000000 million movie meant to make a billion dollars at the box office. And just because there's so few of them, Revolutionary Road, American Beauty, Spectre are my last three. And very clearly last place, Spectre. So that's where I wanted to go with Mendes, because Spectre is also my number eight. And like you said, a distant number eight. And rewatching Spectre, like parts of that movie are just a snooze fest. I hope if you have narcolepsy, you have like easy access to Spectre because it'll cure it in no time. I was watching it with my girlfriend yesterday. She, oh my God, just the whole movie was like, yep, still going. Yep, th- this thing still has an hour left. That that one colon zero zero colon zero zero kept showing up no matter how many times we'd pause and be like, yep, this thing still has like 90 minutes left. And it's the exact same runtime as Skyfall. And it's incredible to me that the guy responsible for Spectre also does my number one Sam Mendes movie in Skyfall. Um, I Every single element that I hate in Spectre, I almost reverse it with as much passion for Skyfall. Um, like, we, we haven't even said it yet. Like, 10 minutes into the movie, James Bond gets shot. And the theater experience, when, whenever the first time you see Skyfall is... And you see him fall off the bridge, agent down, and you see M turn around and look out the window. Yeah, that was a theater like audible gasp. Like, wait a minute, did they just is is, is Sam Mendes gonna go for it and be like James Bond dies ten minutes into the movie and it's about everybody else learning to live without him? I didn't put it past him. Uh, yeah, I, I am. I'm amazed that these two movies were done by the same director. Let, let me let me defend Mendes for one minute, okay. which is that Spectre is a legendarily troubled troubled production okay. only because of the Sony email hack. We know how much fucking around was happening with that movie, how much it was tinkered with, how unclear they were on screenplay issues, how much weird stuff went into the making of that movie. That I I give the movie sucks. Everything you said is true, but I give Mendes a little bit of a pass for why it's so bad. It is still so bad, but I give him a little bit of a pass. Quantum also not not great, not perfect. Uh also has an issue which is that the script was turned in 1 minute before the clock struck midnight on the beginning of the writer's strike 
and the writer who did the work on and I, I i don't even want to celebrate him because it turns out he's a shit heel he also made crash which is the worst movie to ever win best picture paul haggis but really paul haggis punched oh. up he punched up he took so there are these two guys purvis and wade who write basically all the bond movies for the last 30 years they write the plot and then someone else comes in and rewrites the dialogue to make it good and when you have haggis with time, like in Casino Royale, it's very good. When you have haggis with, I think, 72 hours to do his work on the script before the writer's strike started, and then they shot with a script, they literally, by by agreement, whatever, negotiated agreement, were not able to change. Um, you end up with something like Quantum of Solace, where things just don't quite add up all the time, where character motivations and arcs don't make sense. Uh there, there are reasons why Spectre and Quantum are not the movies they should be, and the 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 Craig series could have been perfect, and it's just circumstances held it back. Two out of four ain't bad. Skyfall is my number one, and all of the myriad of reasons that we've said so far about Skyfall, I think Mendes brings a lot to the Bond character, the Bond franchise that we really haven't seen before, and that's why Skyfall is my number one. 1917 is my number two. Um, Road to Perdition is my number three, and you nailed it. We failed miserably not to bring it up last week in our Goodfellas episode about mob movies. I thought it was going to be controversial to put Jarhead as my number four. I am a Jake Gyllenhaal stan, so we have the same top four, just in a different order. Jarhead's my number four. And then my number five. So we haven't mentioned it yet, but Sam Mendes won Best Director in 1999 at the Academy Awards uh, for a movie that won Best Picture in 1999. Now, I understand that the lead... Best uh, best actor, the lead actor in that movie is Kevin Spacey, and that's why the movie has aged horribly. But no, it's not just Kevin Spacey. I, is there, I guess there's other elements that have also aged poorly. No, it's it's just the movie itself. It's just not it's not good. Yeah, well, it works for me, and no! yeah, I I want to give a shout out to my friend Brian Lloyd, my old buddy at Gotham Sports Network, a bit of a director himself. Um, he loves that movie. Has a tattoo from that movie. And the conversations I've had with him about the different themes and interpretations that people put on that movie, this is a, a inside look and honestly a satirical look like Fight Club about middle America and being stuck in your mundane nine to five jobs and being inspired to go quit your job living a year on your on your on, a, on your severance and literally doing what the spacey character does. I I very much enjoy the discussion that is inspired by that movie, the discussions I've had because of that movie. I understand if it's not your cup of tea, it is absolutely my cup of tea. We will talk about an element in that movie later. I, with no shame whatsoever, I American Beauty is my number five. I, I'm glad that you want to watch Wes Bentley record the uh, a plastic bag blowing in the wind for like five minutes and, and see that as art. I'd rather to look when you're seven years married, get back to me and let's talk about Revolutionary Road then, because that's the time <laughs> to have the conversation about that movie. OK, fair. Gun. Short. Agent. Provocateur. Woman. Provocatrix. Heart. Target. Bird. Sky. M. Bitch. Sunlight. Swim. Moonlight. Dance. Murder. Employment. Country. England. Skyfall. Skyfall. Done. Next up, 
pretty significant one. The name's Craig, Daniel Craig. Is Skyfall a top five Daniel Craig performance? Now, I know your thoughts on Casino Royale. I know they're coming in hot and heavy pretty soon. But as far as Skyfall goes, this beaten down, a little more humanized, where he has to rebuild, but also like re-motivate himself uh, after what happens at the beginning of this movie. What did you think of his performance in Skyfall? I, I love most of this movie. I think he's great. And I, I think he's probably the the only Bond of all the actors play it. Maybe Dalton, who could do this sort of arc, this sort of pushed out of Bondom off in Jamaica doing scorpion on his wrist shots. I, I think Craig's the one who can carry this sort of emotional burden and share it with the viewer without overriding the movie with some sort of perpetual sadness device. Um, I, I think, look, he, he brings a dark humanity to Bond and the directors that have made Bond movies in his run have allowed it that no other actor who's played this part has had the opportunity or ability to do. I agree. And it's it's really fascinating because I know like if you and Yash and like my girlfriend and, and all of these hardcore Bond fans had their way, we'd be doing Casino Royale today. And I know like you guys swear by that as a Bond movie. But like you compare the James Bond he is in that where it's this young up and coming like hot shot rookie that has the James Bond smirk through every action throughout that movie. And like clearly like thinks he knows everything, which is why that movie is really about his ego. And then like just six calendar years later, it's this grizzled veteran that has clearly lost a step where there's no smirk and he's almost trying to figure things out. What do you make of that? Can I stop you there? What do you make of that? I, I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, I think, that's literally what they're going for is that like you even look at his hairline. It's it's somewhat receding in Skyfall and a lot of the issues he's just never confronted. He finally confronts them. Like, the fact that there's also no recurring characters like Q is introduced. Money Penny's introduced. All these people like come in at later on in his career. I think they're going for. So let, let I want to push you here. Sorry. Uh, let, let me ask you it. In your in your head canon, because we know Quantum of Solace picks up like ten minutes after Casino Royale, so they're basically it's kind of like the epilogue to the first movie. Do you envision that there are like fifteen Bond movies that happen between Casino Royale, which is essentially the origin, and Skyfall? Yeah, I, I think there actually is a line in Skyfall where M says, "You've been doing this for a long time. You know the drill." Um, he's clearly like if if Skyfall is his rookie season, he's in like his third max contract in Skyfall. He's he's much further into his career, which is why like exploring the option of a way out of the Bond life, of the double O life, is one he takes after he's he's shot off the train. Um yeah, I as I get into my list, because I get to go first in this, it's Casino Royale or Skyfall for me for for his top two. That's clearly my one and two. And look, I know I'm going to take some shit from you and the rest of the Bond crowd, but like I've talked about my uh, feelings about Logan, the, the that version of Wolverine. I am just, I guess, a sucker for seeing someone that has clearly lost some of their powers, whether they be actual superpowers in comic book movies or they've aged and they've lost a step and they're trying to find motivation and reasons to live and... I'm just a sucker for having to 
uh, find new ways to uh, be yourself when you're not who you were at the peak of your powers anymore. So I, I lean Skyfall a little by, by a hair above Casino Royale for Daniel Craig. Um, my number three recency bias alone uh, is Knives Out, the really fun Ryan Johnson movie from a couple years ago with uh, so many fun characters. The Who Done It from a couple years ago. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. He plays uh, Detective Benoit Blanc in that movie, and he, he solves the mystery throughout it. My number four is a Steven Soderbergh movie called Logan Lucky that nobody saw, and yet it has so many people that everybody loves in oh, movies. Oh, it's so good to cast. Uh, if you find Logan Lucky, please check that out. Um, and then my number five, I had to go to David Fincher, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where he plays uh, uh, opposite Rooney Mara in that movie. You really could watch it at any point and think you were watching a Bond movie. Uh, so yeah, those are my top five with with layered cake like just missing at number six. Uh, all right, Oz, your top five Daniel Craig performances. So uh, mine cut a little differently. My number one is going to be Casino Royale. I think I think look, I, I I'll save it for when we get to the Bond ranking to talk to wax too poetic on on Casino Royale. But I really do think that the he nails everything that I want from the character, the darkness, the brutality, and the flirt. I, I think his chemistry with Eva Green is so off the charts in Casino Royale. I think the the scene on the train where they talk to one another uh, and, and just banter back and forth where they predict each other's pasts, who was an orphan, who went to fancy schools. It's so fucking electric. It is... Let me Sundance for a moment here. It's kind of like Before Sunrise brought to a Bond movie and it rocks. I, I I think, look, all the love stories in Bond movies are pretty disposable because as M has said about Bond on many occasions, he treats women as disposable objects. And it is only in Casino Royale and On Her Majesty's Secret Service where it's, it's not. And I guess no time to die. But uh, I think... It's really that he's allowed to show more gears in Casino Royale. It's my favorite Daniel Craig performance and my favorite Bond performance. Can I give you a take that you're probably going to hate? Yes. I agree with what you said about Ava Green. The actual hottest scene, the, the scene with the most chemistry, the, the time I felt the electricity that you're talking about more than any other scene in the Craig movies is when Moneypenny is shaving him in uh, in China, right? Yeah, I think yeah, right there. Yeah, because he then Ma- goes Macau. to Macau. Macau. Um, when she shaves him in the middle of Skyfall, um, it's the most holy shit. Like it's it's a will they or won't they? Which I guess is their relationship from previous movies. And in this, Naomi Harris and Daniel Craig. Uh, yeah, I I don't even know if I want them to to take that next step. I just know that in that moment, I was like drawn to my screen more than any other moment he's on screen with another woman. So that is my take. I think that's fair, but I I, I will one up by saying the scene where Eva Green is in the green dress with the green earrings sitting on the side of his wheelchair in Casino Royale when he's recuperating from the um, rope to the balls torture uh-huh. scene. <laughs> and he, he gives that spiel about how she, even if nothing were left of him, but his little finger, that's because you know what I could do with my little finger. It's so good. It's so electric. I, I, 
I'm sorry, Rachel Weiss. I have to believe that those two have a thing together. I can't <laughs> believe it didn't. I can't believe it didn't happen based on the electricity of that scene. And I uh, say the exact same thing about Naomi Harris. There you go. And he's good with Monica Bellucci. That's the only good thing about Spectre. That too. Yes, they, that they have too. a ton of chemistry. Your number two. My number two is def- is Defiance which is one of his least known movies, I suspect. It is a movie about a set of Jewish brothers who are escaping, who have escaped into the forests of Belarusia, Belarus, um, during World War II and are in effect creating a, a, a part, like a, a group of guerrilla fighters who are killing Nazis. And he plays sort of the leader of the brothers, Lev Schreiber and Jamie Bell play the other brothers. Uh, it's an Edward Zwick movie who makes a lot of historical epics that are perhaps slightly problematic when viewed through a 2021 lens, like The Last Samurai, but he always gets just elite performances from his actors. And I think it's one of the most human modulated performances that Craig has has ever given in a movie that could very easily fall into something a little more ridiculous. My number three is Layer Cake, which is probably the movie that most got him Bond. It is a Matthew Vaughn movie who went on to make X-Men First Class and Kick-Ass and... Um, Oh God! What are those movies where Taron Egerton is a spy? Kingsman, uh, Kingsman, Kingsman, the Kingsman series, and it's his breakthrough movie about a drug dealer named, I think, Agent X. It's unknown. Who, it's quite quadruple X is what they call yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, and that, and that's Daniel Craig. But it's it's very of a of a conversation with how Bond could take a darker outcome if he were raised a little differently. It's a very good movie. I might hypothetically put No Time to Die here if everyone had listened, uh, if everyone had seen it at the point that you're listening. But because we're not there yet, uh, I'll put Girl with the Dragon Tattoo for all the reasons that you said. Fourth and fifth, I will put Knives Out. But I think Skyfall and Logan Lucky, both that you've mentioned, are wonderful performances. I just don't think that as much as I like Skyfall, Craig has as much to do from a sort of dramatic range perspective as he does in Casino Royale or No Time to Die or some of these other movies we're discussing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So how do you get rats off an island? My grandmother showed me. We buried an oil drum and hinged the lid. Then we wired coconut to the lid as bait, and the rats would come for the coconut, and thunk, 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 they would fall into the drum. And after a month, you've trapped all the rats. But what did you do then? 
Throw the drum into the ocean. Burn it. No. You just leave it. And they begin to get hungry. And one by one, they start eating each other until there are only two left, the two survivors. And then what? Do you kill them? No. You take them and release them into the trees. But now they don't eat coconut anymore. Now they only eat rat. You have changed their nature. The two survivors. This is what she made us. Next up is Skyfall Top 5 Javier Bardem Performance. So let's just get this out the way. It's not number one. It's no, no, no. I'm just making I, sure. There's a, this is the clearest number one I think we've ever done. I, I, well, it's the second clearest number one we've ever done. We, we've done the Dark Knight. That's before, true. We did Heath Ledger. And we did a Heath Ledger category. So I think that's probably the, okay. the clearest. But the second clearest number one we've ever done. No Country for Old Men will be our number ones here. Correct. So yes. I will ask you, Bond fan, when you heard that Anton Chigurh was going to be the Bond villain for Skyfall, your reaction was what? Damn it. He's just going to do Anton Chigurh as a Bond villain. Oh, you were disappointed. Okay. I wasn't disappointed. I, I thought it was fine. It, it, it's it's of an ilk. They frequently cast these sort of award bait actors to go get a paycheck to play a role very similar to something they've already done in the past. I, sometimes it's very effective, like Sean Bean and GoldenEye. Sometimes it's less effective, like Rami Malek. Um, but I, I think that, uh, or Christoph Waltz, let's take Spectre. Yeah. I, I think, I think Bardem is a, is a, turns out to be an excellent Bond villain in part because of the chemistry he has with Craig. Uh, but it, it's, it's not going to be the number two on my list either. Okay. So your top five Javier Bardem performances are. My easy number one is No Country for Old Men. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. We will do it someday on this podcast. It's fucking great. Uh, my number two, I, I guess this is where I start to make it a little weird. Uh, Woody Allen's a bad guy. Caveat aside, Vicky <laughs> Cristina Barcelona is a really good movie with electric chemistry between the cast. It's uh, two women who are off studying in Europe, played by Scarlett Johansson and Rebecca Hall, who have this sort of infatuation with a guy played by Javier Bardem. He's a he's really really good in it. It's my it's my number two Bardem performance. I I'm looking at my list now and a little I guess frustrated at myself that they're all English language performances, even though I've seen a lot of stuff he's done elsewhere, but it is what it is. My number three is a movie that I am the only person on earth who likes, and that is the Ridley Scott movie, The Counselor. Ah, my number six. Okay. Oh shit. Yeah, really? I've seen yeah. it, dude. I love that movie. It's it's a really good, weird movie written by Carmick, uh, Cormac McCarthy, who's one of the sort of great nihilists of recent American fiction. Has so many actors in that movie that it should work. And yeah, a lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people didn't like it. There's a very long director's cut version on digital somewhere, which mm. is better. Uh, but yeah, uh, Michael Fassbender's in it. Brad Pitt's Brad in it. Pitt, it's, yeah, his wife Penelope Cruz is in it. I, I think it's I think it's a very good performance that I don't want to talk too much about because of the way the movie is structured. But I I think it's worth checking out. You just have to be prepared for Cameron Diaz to um, fuck a car in that <laughs> yes, movie. Yes, uh, my my number four is going to be Skyfall. Okay, I think he's a he's a top tier Bond villain. I think the the long take scene where he walks across that sort of dilapidated I, I don't know what it is like computer lab or whatever the fuck while Craig is tied down and they have their sort of gay flirtation together is 
maybe the best Bond villain monologue ever. I, I like him less when he's taking out his like teeth prosthetics and they have bad CGI on his face, but he's a very, very good Bond villain. And my number five is a less seen movie. I think it's John Malkovich's directorial debut. It's The Dancer Upstairs. Uh, it's about a Javier Bardem plays a police detective. I, I think it's it's in Argentina hunting down a, a guerrilla leader. It's, it's, it's earlier in his career, but it's good, compelling stuff. It shows sort of his, his star power charisma. Uh, but Javier Bardem, very good actor. Yes, he is. And here's the deal. Vicky Cristina Barcelona. Sounds great. I should see it sometime. Also, The Dancer Upstairs. Sounds great as well. I should see it sometime. There's clearly a gap for me in the movies with Javier Bardem that I have or haven't seen. I've only seen six movies that he's been in. And as a result, my top five are, of course, No Country for Old Men at number one, one of the greatest on-screen performances I've ever seen. Uh, Skyfall's my number two. And like you mentioned, the, the elevator scene with the tracking shot and the rat story that he tells the Bond. I actually look at his confrontation with M when he pulls the teeth out while there is some CGI there. The... Man, the haunting image that it creates uh, when he talks, when he shows what it looks like when you bite into a cyanide capsule and it doesn't kill you. Uh, yeah, I think he's very menacing and one of my favorite Bond villains. My number three, he's only in it for a couple scenes, but the the story that he tells in the middle of Collateral, when he tells oh, yeah. Jamie Foxx the story of Black Peter, the the helper that watches over the bad kids uh i i really like his performance in that movie even though like it's in small spurts and then my number four i was wondering if you were gonna jump on board with me with this uh the movie mother the darren aronofsky movie starring javier bardem and jennifer lawrence from a couple years ago uh, i would recommend that the source material uh is the bible so uh, uh go into that and then see if you pick up on what's going on throughout that movie because javier bardem plays an important character throughout that story i guess that allegory if you want to put it that way yeah i love that movie i'm, I'm in the minority with you because i think it has the one of the two or three worst cinema scores yeah. ever because audience really hated it it was billed but, as a uh, jennifer lawrence horror movie and then they went it was like this is just weird this isn't horror this yeah, is just weird that, that was a movie made for people like me and not for people who want to go see a halloween sequel bingo and then my number five so the counselor is my number six um i happen to enjoy that movie but it was also be last because it's the only other i i i need to go seek out Oh no, Oz has this look on his face. No, I know what you're about to say so, and I feel really upset. Listen, I'm a big fan of Disney movies and <laughs> there's a movie that came out in 2018. Oh, no. I would argue it's the second best sequel to the Har the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where he plays Salazar in Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. Look, Skyfall's my number two here. After that, it's kind of a drop-off. Uh, this is where I'm going to need to go see more Javier Bardem movies. I happen to like Salazar. I like that villain in that movie. And Oz's head, Oz, Oz's I hair know, he, might get pulled out by the end of this episode. I, it's not crazy because he's actually pretty good in it, but he's not even like the best Pirates of the Caribbean villain. Oh, no. Davy Jones or uh, Barbosa. Davy Jones. Yeah, Davy Jones and Barbosa are both better. And oh my god, watch the watch the Inaritu misery movies. Like beautiful. That that'll it's okay. just no, 
it's two fine. hours and 40 minutes will make you respect his acting and feel bad about life. I think after the first one and the success of the first one, and the, we have to go into full detail with Pirates of the Caribbean, but the first one's really good. And can, we, the, can we do the first one someday? I would, I would like love to. to believe me, I'd love to. It, it qualifies in, it I qualifies. think, two of the three. He was so, for Best Actor. Right. So, obviously, it's made enough money. I just I was wondering about the certified freshness of it. Regardless, the point is, the first Pirates of the Caribbean is one of my favorite movies ever. And the introduction of Jack and even the, the Will Turner, Elizabeth Swan romance works, the Barbosa villain is, is outstanding. And the simplicity in that movie, I think, is the thing I love most. Like, the, the best fight to me in that movie is Jack and Will fighting in the blacksmith shop and there's no real CGI. It's, it seems choreographed. There's no real like effects to it. It's just a, a sword fight and it, it's really well done. And then you go fast forward to the third one and Davy Jones and Jack are fighting at the top of a ship while the ship is being spun around in a cyclone in a monsoon that was started by the pirate goddess calypso you remember more of that movie than i do yeah like there's just too much stuff going on on screen and like i'm to be honest i'm not sure i've seen the fourth one the fourth one is so bad yeah penelope cruz is in it yeah it's so bad so like look i think my take about salazar is while the ending does have a lot of that extra added big budget computer effects that i don't like Throughout the most of that movie, the simplicity returns. I like Javier Bardem's Salazar. And uh, I look, I think that's the second best Pirates of the Caribbean movie, which I understand it is not saying much. I actually, now, now that you say it, I, I'm less offended by there it. There you go. Good you, had this, good you had this look on like I drafted Carl Malone in a 90s draft. Jeez, man. <laughs> <laughs> and look around you. Who do you fear? Can you see a face, a uniform, a flag? No. Our world is not more transparent now. It's more opaque. It's in the shadows. That's where we must do battle. So before you declare us irrelevant, ask yourselves, how safe do you feel? Next up is Skyfall, a top five Judy Dench performance. Where does she rank in the M's for you? All right, so we we have four M's, and uh, Bernard Lee, Robert Grant, Judy Dench, and uh, Ralph Fiennes, or Rafe Fiennes, if you prefer. And I I actually think that she is the greatest M to ever play the role. I think that uh, her spiel to Brosnan that he's a misogynistic, sexist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, is one of the most iconic supporting character moments in all of the Bond movies, and it lets her establish this sort of weighted gravity that everyone has just accepted from that moment forward that, yeah, we, we have a Lady M now, and that's fine. And when you you think about that in, in the terms of a movie that came out in 1995, when the world is a little different than it is in 2021, it's almost more impressive how she managed to not just take center stage in that movie, but take fucking control of James Bond and absolutely own it. The, those movies falter, the Brosnan movies falter when she's relegated to like, a. she's like the damsel in distress and the world is not enough. And it's fucking embarrassing because M is awesome. And instead they have like, I, I'm supposed to give a shit about Denise Richards, but uh, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's, I think the greatest M uh, 
much respect to to uh my fellow bernard bernard lee but uh it's it's the emerald is sort of tricky because it it has to be this weird interplay between friendship with bond antagonism with bond and almost prickishness like this sort of prickly banter back and forth together and i i don't know what's going to happen in future movies i don't know if they're going to elide the timelines like they do with Brosnan to Craig um, and sort of keep actors on Desmond Llewellyn played Q from uh, Connery all the way through to Brosnan. So hopefully we can keep on some of the supporting actors going forward. Cause I think Ray Fiennes could, could get to this place, but Judy Dench is our finest M. Yeah. There's, there's much more for her to do in Skyfall. Like a lot of what she does in the first two, she's like behind a desk and it's much more maternal and procedural. And it was really, are much more featuring Bond, where in this, a lot of her past career decisions are being uh, reflected upon and, and reconsidered throughout uh, the movie. And yeah, there's there's much more of an internal struggle, which I really enjoy in this performance. Well, can I can I just touch on that for one second? Yeah, go ahead. The so uh, the two best directors that she made Bond movies with are Martin Campbell, who did GoldenEye and Casino Royale, and Sam Mendes, who did Skyfall. <laughs> And it's no coincidence that those are the three movies where she has the most to do because the competent directors were like, wow, Judy Dench. Have, yeah, we have <laughs> Judy fucking Dench. So, yeah, we're going to give her more to Excuse do. Excuse me. And that's Dame Judy Dench. Dame, okay. Dame Judy fucking Dench. Uh, give her more to do. It makes your movie better. Bingo. I'm hypothetical to ask you. Mm -hmm. So let's just say you were on top of a train fighting a bad guy mm -hmm. and I gave an order to take a take the bloody shot and it nearly killed you. Would you forgive me as quickly as Bond forgives M in this movie? If I had the financial wherewithal that I could go sleep with random hot women in a Jamaican bar mm -hmm. and drink tequila until I'm stupid drunk every single night, yeah, I'd be good. You'd be, it seems so like you, you gave me a lifestyle. Me you gave me a, a lifestyle upgrade from my normal day to day grind to go uh, live at the real life Goldeneye and uh, have a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I would. I would not just forgive, but I would be grateful. I think I would. I would need a, a little. I need a year or two. Like I almost <laughs> died, bro. Come on, man. Uh, it's my turn, right? Uh, yes, it's your turn. I'm gonna go quickly through this. So, Scott is. Skyfall, a top five Judy Dench performance. Yes, and it falls at number three because number one is the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Um, that is a movie about what? What did I? What did I? You no, gave please, me a look. No, please. I, I, I'm sorry. This is this is only on podcast listeners. I, I just I have big reactions sometimes. Please sell the best exotic Marigold oh, you Hotel. Do, okay, you do not like the best exotic Marigold Hotel. I, I was just shaking his head. No, I like Dev Patel in it, but that's about it. Okay, I that is a story about loss, and I am a sucker for a story about learning to live in the new normal after you know you lose someone close to you. Her husband dies, and she moves to India. And she makes makes friends with um with that Patel throughout that movie, um yeah I I think that movie is very therapeutic in certain ways and clearly Oz does not. My mom is listening now, being like Andrew is right and my son is an asshole. Yeah, Oz. So. There you go. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Oz, for listening right now. Uh, my number two is the movie Iris, which came out in two thousand one. 
It's uh, about the famous novelist Iris Murdoch and her relationship with her husband. Um, she plays the older version of Iris toward the later in her life when she's starting to develop Alzheimer's. And Kate Winslet plays the younger version in flashbacks because it's stole it's told from her husband's perspective. And one of the more terrifying things that I see that's not like horror, like specific horror elements is watching that portrayed on screen and portrayed well. Still, Alice is still one of the most disturbing on screen experiences because I, I just don't, I'm not ready to think about my parents in that way. But that's a conversation more for my therapist. Uh, this is extremely well done. And while there's going to be some royalty that Judy Dench brings to life in a couple minutes on my list, this is one of the times where she brings like a person, like a normal person to life. And it's one of the more effective things I've ever seen. My number three is Skyfall. Uh, I just everything that we've already said about her performance in this, I really love. My number four, I'm going to assume there's some crossover here, is the movie Mrs. Brown. Now, I only saw this, so I guess I could kind of say it's a partner with another movie, that Victoria and Abdul. I only saw this because that movie came out in 2018, and I was told to also check out Mrs. Brown. I was like, oh, she's actually really good in that. She got nominated for an Oscar in this movie. Uh, she plays Queen Victoria. She's recently widowed and plays... Uh, she's She's starts to date uh, John Brown, one of her servants, and then the uproar that it caused. And it's a tale about forbidden love, which is what most of these period pieces are. And then speaking of forbidden love, uh, like Romeo and Juliet, my number five is Shakespeare in Love, which she won an Oscar for, even though she's barely on screen in that movie. But every time she shows up on screen as uh, as Queen Elizabeth, she she steals this the every single moment that she's in. So those are my number five. What are yours? I'm very curious. What are your top five Judy Dench performances? You know, let, let me say, I, I I thought I'd have a bunch of weird stuff that'd be way off the grid, and and I don't. So much of her work is on stage or on TV that it, it there isn't a huge wealth of things to pick from film-wise. So my number one is going to be Notes on a Scandal, which if you haven't seen, you should. It's very good. And I, I haven't seen it in a few years, but I bet it ages pretty well. It's about a teacher played by Dench who learns that another teacher played by Kate Blanchett is having a, an affair with a student. And it's a sort of psychosexual thriller. It, not even thriller, like psychosexual drama. It's just, she's very good in it. There's a, there's a very dark element to her performance. I, I think I should not say any more about it and you should watch it. Came out the same I, year as Casino Royale. Wow. I would have I would have assumed that movie was like 10 years older than that. My number two is one that you gave short shrift to, which is Shakespeare in Love, which uh, <laughs> I, I don't love that movie either. I think I had it on my list for the, you know, worst upset best picture winners over over saving private ryan right but she she shows up and chews the scenery in the most delightful way imaginable i think she's great uh and it it shows sort of her her screen magnetism and power in a way that older women are not often given the ability to do on screen uh it's a very good performance three is skyfall i particularly appreciate how late in the film she's given opportunity to really dig into a, a, a character element of M that no other M actor has had the chance to touch upon. And I was a big proponent of the give Judy Dench a best supporting actress nomination for Skyfall yeah, yeah, campaign. Okay. 
Uh, my number four is Mrs. Brown, which is a much better movie than Victoria and Abdul. I agree. I was just saying, like, the reason I discovered Mrs. Brown is because of Victoria and Abdul. It's, yeah, I, it, good. It's really good. It's, I think it's actually, I, I might be wrong on this. I think it was intended to be like a BBC masterpiece theater made for TV thing. And they watched it and were like, oh shit, this is really good. So they released it in theaters and it ended up getting like a bunch of BAFTA and Oscar nominations. I think it was one of her first domestic Oscar nominations. Uh, and my final one is actually Philomena, which uh, it, it's, it's really, I should hate this movie because it's such like stodgy, treacly, old white guy shit. It's one of Weinstein's last movies before he lost control of things. And it's like Steve Coogan connecting with this elderly woman and She's just so charismatic and magnetic in the role. I I I really think it's worth tracking down, despite the fact that it is the like the definition of a stodgy old white guy movie, where this is where it's safe to support a woman's candidacy because Harvey Weinstein said so. But other than other than that grossness, uh, Philomena, very 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 good performance from Judy Dench. So whoever stole the list has already decrypted it. They posted the first five names on the web. Well, it was only a matter of time. Well, that's just the start. They're posting five more next week and the week after. It's some kind of sadistic game. Cutthroat razor. How very traditional. Well, I like to do some things the old-fashioned way. Sometimes the old ways are the best. So next up is a pretty difficult one because it involves a master of his craft. Is Roger Deakins. Is Skyfall a top five film shot by Roger Deakins. So I mentioned it earlier, just how much more coherent the scenes in this movie. And you have like the long tracking nature shots when they, when they are on their way to Skyfall. I just admire how there's no real shaky cam and how I, I know where everybody is at all time. I know the layouts of buildings more so than in other previous Bond movies, specifically again, juxtaposed against Quantum of Solace. It was just so refreshing to be like, oh, okay, I, someone's driving the car and they, they're not drunk. Okay, great. I can, I can enjoy a Bond movie where I know what's going on. And yeah, it, we shouldn't expect any less from Roger Deakins. What was your takeaway when you first saw Skyfall and then realized, okay, Roger Deakins is here? I, I think, let me take a step back first and, and, and talk about what a cinematographer is. Okay, because thank you. I, I suspect we may have some, some listeners who, who, for understandable reasons, because it's really vague, don't get what a cinematographer is versus a director versus everything else. And the reason you might not get it is because it varies movie to movie. Some directors are are deeply invested in making sort of sketchbooks that look like comic books of how they want every single shot to look. And they just bring someone in who can functionally put the lights where they need to be to bring the director's vision to life. Some directors are like, here's the story I want to tell. I want to work with my actors and I'm going to bring in someone who makes it beautiful who's going to come in and figure out where to put the camera, figure out the movements, figure out the colors, the lighting, the treatment, everything else. There's a whole sliding scale. But if a movie looks visually pleasing to you, the cinematographer deserves the lion's share of the credit, not the director. Every great director throughout history has had a great cinematographer who's responsible for the work they did. You you think of someone, you think of Kubrick who's done, you know, like 2001 and everything like that. John Alcott did 
shot all of Kubrick's movies, and that's why they look so good. Hitchcock had a fellow named Robert Burks. Uh, Spielberg, for all of his greatness and visual greatness, especially in the 90s and early 2000s, that was all Janusz Kaminski. There are a lot of great, great, great cinematographers who make movies look beautiful. And for my money, Deacons might be the the actual greatest of all time. He's so diverse in his skills. He He makes things so beautiful. And he as you said, is so instrumental to crafting these beautiful one take shots, these totally comprehensive and compelling visual visual scopes that allow a viewer to understand and comprehend and internalize everything that's happening on screen. Your brain literally, when a film cuts, and it's what you're saying about Quantum Solace, when a movie cuts, you cannot process for a couple of microseconds what's happening in front of you. So there's always a readjustment every time a director decides to change over. And we talked about this a little with the Warners on, on Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deacons is so unbelievably aware. It's, I had the chance to listen to him speak in person once. It was oh, wow. mind blowing to me. Um, and he has a, like a blog where he answers questions from like random people about lenses and shit, which if you're ever curious to deep dive this, you should seek out. I recognize I'm the only person listening who gives a <laughs> shit about that. Uh, so my top five, Roger Deacons, uh, number one is 1917 which though it's not actually a single shot, it's like seven. Uh, He makes it seem as though someone has traversed basically all of world war one and hell uh, in the course of two hours. It is, uh, I I can't even comprehend how he managed to. What are you talking about? By the way, that was one take. (laughs) Yes, of course. Even when he passes out, so it gets to be the middle of the night. It's definitely, they just kept the camera on and then turn the lights back. Like, it was all one take. I think it's more impressive that it's like seven because it could easily be like 55. Well, if it was seven, it would be impressive too, but it's one. It's all okay. Anyway. Uh, my number two is Blade Runner 2049. Which we is have the Denise same that, number one and number two, by the way. Uh, they're two of the most beautiful movies ever made. It's really, to put it simply, my number three is actually Skyfall. I think Skyfall is absolutely gorgeous. I think every image in Skyfall is, is composed so exquisitely. I think everything is so well-structured. You're smirking in a way that suggests- This that means there is a movie everything. not on your list that I'm I'm stunned by. I thought that Skyfall was going to miss for yours like it did for mine, but because I had oh. to like- I And again, re-watching it, I almost reconsidered, but the top five are so strong- that I'm now very curious what you have at number three, number four and five. My number four is Fargo. Okay. Which is which is an earlier movie for him, but brings this sort of uh, film noir element to the Icelands of Fargo. Uh, it's beautifully shot. And my number five, this is such a film nerd cliche. I don't even think this movie is that great. I think it's fine. But it is incredibly beautiful to look at is the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, and my runners up are, are No Country for Old Men, Prisoners, Sicario, and Revolutionary Road, which are also all beautiful. Uh, and one other, two other. I want. I'm, I'm gonna fucking talk about cinematographers for a minute because you never let me do this. Do it. Go the ahead. Two I wa- the other two I want to shout out are Emmanuel Lubezki, who Lubezki, 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 whatever. Who, yeah, him. who does Alfonso Cuarón? A lot of the recent Cohen's movies. He does Terrence Malick. Even if the Terrence Malick movies are fucking boring, you have to acknowledge that they're beautiful. He shoots them. They look great. He goes in the backyard and shoots his po- points a camera somewhere. Yes. Yeah, he's way better at filming stuff in his backyard than I am. I try to do it and it doesn't <laughs> look the same. So I'm sure uh, if you and, tried, yeah. And my last one is Kazuo Miyagawa, 
who did a lot of the early uh, Kurosawa movies. He did a lot of Ozu movies who did, who's sort of a Japanese, um, almost like family relationship dramatist. Uh, he's a master as well, especially in the black and white sphere. But yeah, uh, learn about people who make movies beautiful because it's, it's a really, really cool skill. And if you start picking the movies you focus on based on that, you tend to be bored and disinterested less. Okay, so... I'm glad I gave you a chance to talk about cinematographers. Thank you for this. I, I assume you'll cut it down in editing. Oh, no. I actually thought a lot of that was good because people don't know what, what cinematography is. I'm glad I'm glad Skyfall made your list because I'm stunned. Um, I'm glad you acknowledge Blade Runner because as much as I fall asleep every time I see that movie, it is impeccably... I, I don't understand how that world exists on screen, like how that movie exists. That's how good the cinematography is. And I should mention... Um, our number one and number two are flipped. Blade Runner 2049 is one and 1917 is two. Coincidentally, Roger Deakins, two Oscar wins. Um, I'm glad you acknowledged Fargo, my number three. I think. Oh, good. All right, great. Man, of the elements of that movie that I love, the cinematography is up there. The the overhead shots of the car driving with the snowy land, land on the sides is like breathtaking even the shots at night where you're watching through the the driver's view and you just like have you ever done those cross-country road trips where there's no street lights and you're just on an interstate uh, by yourself i have not i've not driven cross-country but i've made drives like that okay so when i used to live in virginia there are plenty of spots like that it's more mountainous so you're driving slow anyway so it's not flat like the middle of the country regardless fargo brilliant my number four is No Country for Old Men. Um, the, Javier Bardem, first of all. And again, movie we're going to do again on this pod. Did I? Mi- did you not say the Shawshank Redemption? Do you not like the Oh, Shaw- no, it's beautiful. Okay. It, it could be on my honorable mentions list. Okay. I, I was I just, just making sure, like, I, but while you were mentioning other cinematographers' odds, I went and Googled Shawshank. Like, wait, did I miss that? Did he not do Shawshank? No, and it, I missed it? it? You know what? Honestly, I love Shawshank. I it, it came up in our Pulp Fiction episode. Mm-hmm. I love it. It's fantastic. I, I I'll say I, I don't necessarily think of the visuals first. And there uh, okay. there are a lot of these movies where look, I, I Assassination of Jesse James is perfect in a visual sense. Yes. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've ever seen. I don't feel that way about Shawshank. I, I think no I think Revolu- actually Revolutionary Road is the most beautiful destruction of a marriage that has ever existed it's so pretty <laughs> as dicaprio and winslet are tearing each other apart um i just i, I it's I, I i can't quibble with someone taking it it's a beautiful iconic movie him coming out of the shit into this into the rain it, it, it's a shot that everyone everyone who has ever seen the movie will remember for the rest of their days i i cannot question that choice it's just not my favorite of what is maybe the greatest person to ever do this skill. It's not even that it's not your favorite. I was expecting it to be like one of your first, because I knew how you felt about Shawshank. I love so the movie. All. I love the movie. Okay. I love the movie and I love Deacons, but it's just not, it, he's so good. Like, I, he doesn't have the Academy Award nomination of John Williams, but I basically like, like cried tears of love over how great John Williams is. I feel the same way about Deacons. He's amazing. No, it's fine. You hate and Shawshank Redemption. It's okay. <laughs> we, we found out what how you really feel. Oz. It's fine. It's gonna get like a seven out of fifty when we do it for me. That's where we're, that's where we're you headed. think it's gonna get that many? Jeez. No, wow. it's, it's good. <laughs> Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. 
Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Next up is Skyfall, a top five Thomas Newman score. Talk about Thomas Newman, Oz. Uh, Thomas Newman, he has a perhaps more famous brother, but he, uh, Randy Newman, who you who you best know for the Toy Story song, You've Got a Friend in Me. But uh, Thomas Newman has a, a sort of wonderful, diverse, interesting career where he has ebbed and flowed between like the prestigious of prestige movies like Cinderella Man, which is Ron Howard saying, please, sir, give me an Oscar to just pure like kids movie stuff like Finding Nemo was an early Pixar movie. So Finding Nemo back when Pixar stuff wasn't the award bait it is now. Uh, I just I, I think he's such a creative, playful uh, song or score writer that I, I he's I he's certainly in my top 10 or 15 um, composer film composers ever. Did he win for 1917? I don't think. Didn't the is that the oh, my no, years score? That, that's, that's the same year as Joker. Person, right? Yeah, the Hildegard, the same, yeah, the same woman from uh, the show on HBO about nuclear power plant exploding. Uh, yeah, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, did you call it Chernobyl on purpose? Like you phonetically um, sounded out the word share and then noble. Uh, it's it's my Polish heritage that okay. makes me weirdly pronounce some of these. No, I didn't mean to point it out. I just I've never heard it share noble. Uh, so you, so do you believe Look, in I, love, I, life after love? I listened a little too much to the accents in that show when I watched it, and now I'm a little broken by the faux British Russian accents. I can feel something inside me saying, "I really don't think you're strong enough, Oz." <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a. The more I looked at his his discography, I should say, I realized how much of a fan of this guy's work I am, which is why I will start out by saying that in my top five Thomas Newman scores, Shawshank Redemption is my number one. And you mentioned the scene where he crawls through the shit and the triumphant, the, the I, I swear, I had this score in college. And when I would be in the last, like, hour of a of a paper that i had to write or like i was pulling an all-nighter i'd put that on and i'd crawl through the shit and the muck to write the last two pages to get to the word count and then finally raise my hands up because i nailed this c plus that my tech <laughs> teacher's absolutely not gonna read um yeah the, you can put that on at the gym and you'll be motivated to get through those last few sets put that the the, the score the, the specific piece of music when he's crawling through the shit, when Andy escapes from prison, spoiler alert, um, put that piece of music on and then go bring your groceries inside. 
and tell me you won't feel like you accomplished the exact same thing Andy did when you get that last bag into the house. Okay. That is my take on Thomas Newman in Shawshank. My number two is Wally, movie with not a lot of dialogue in the Pixar universe. And it's carried a lot by a lot of the music and some of the visuals in that as well. Um, number three, when we eventually do a Pixar movie, this will come up, but Finding Nemo hits me like in a chord. And I made like I'm 12 years older than my little brother. So I have this perspective where I'm kind of a third parent at times. I may or may not have been viewing Nemo as like, what if I lost my little brother and I have to go find him? So yeah, Finding Nemo works for me. Can't I wait to show my kids one day? Number four is Skyfall. Um, I went back and forth on two others to see if I had it above Skyfall. And at the end of the day, especially after just watching the movie and listening to it, uh, I had to go with, with this one. And number five, I will say, I will say, honorable mention, I like the score to American Beauty. I don't care what you say. It's not my number five, but I really like the score to that. And it, inc- got, it got radio play. In, I know. As the, the, last, the, cities. the last scene that you don't like of the, the bag floating in the wind. Okay. I listen to that score all the time. I just want to be. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? Oz, shout out Katy Perry. Um, anyway, 1917 is my number five. And as much as I, I can't even say it. I love the score from Joker. I thought that was a deserved win. If you could give like a tie, like multiple Oscars that year, I think you could have gone to 1917 also. Okay. Your top five Thomas Newman scores. So I'm, I'm blown away by how close really? we are on this okay. list. I, I didn't expect it. Uh, Cause uh, look, we don't coordinate. No, we do not about it before. Hence pirates of the Caribbean. Dead men tell no tale. <laughs> On our other group chats where we have other friends in common in these chats, I'm not allowed to talk about what's nope. going to happen on the podcast because nope, nope, he nope. doesn't want a vague spoiler. So my number one is Finding Nemo, which is absolutely wonderful. And I, I literally, I sat on Spotify and pulled up every Thomas Newman score I could. I listened to the top track and then dabbled through every other song on each of the scores to prep for this. I love doing these composer ones. I think they're great. Uh, Finding Nemo is my number one. Shawshank is my number two. Wally is my number three. Uh, my number four is the Adjustment Bureau. Oh, good call. Wow. Which is, a, which is a strange sci-fi romance movie with Matt Damon and Emily Blunt, which nobody saw and it flopped brutally. Beautiful score. Surprisingly good movie that I think is worth tracking down. Uh, and my number five is 1917, which is fantastic. It's stirring. It's epic. It's great. Uh, my top honorable mention is Road to Perdition. And let me just say why I disqualified Skyfall, which it wasn't close for me to making it, which is that the Bond theme, which you know and love, mm-hmm. uh, which I assume you can play right now. Uh, is by someone named Monty Norman and not by Thomas Newman. And a lot of the emotional appeal of it comes from Monty Norman. A lot of what works about the score of a lot of Bond movies is when they're able to integrate the theme song into the score itself. I think Casino Royale is one of the best examples of that, how they how they tease it through. But it happens a lot in in this. Thomas Newman didn't write it. You're Adele about to make it. me change something on my list, dog. Adele wrote it with her song partner who writes similar to how how um, Billie Eilish has her brother who co-writes everything with her. Uh, also a very good song. 
Um, so I disqualified it because so much of what I think is most effective about that score actually comes from other places. And it's not a spoiler for No Time to Die to say that Hans Zimmer does the score in that. And I think he does a more effective job of pulling not just from Monty Norman and the Billie Eilish song, but from all of Bond history to bring it together as this sort of like homage of what works about it with his own work. Uh, and sort of seeing No Time to Die to the extent I was even thinking about bringing it back in because it it sort of coalesces the Monty Norman and the Adele stuff so well. Zimmer does it so much better that I was like, you know what, Newman you you didn't do it as well as zimmer did playing the same sort of game so we're going to stick to the things that you did that are actually fully your work also good cinderella man and a movie nobody saw called phenomenon with john travolta uh also good scores okay you're gonna make me change some stuff because I didn't know that fact about Thomas Newman and how little he had to do with the Bond theme. It's not that he had so little to do it. It's just, it, you know, the, you just the, said core, he didn't do it. the core Bond music that, that hypes you up. Thomas Newman had nothing to fucking do with it. He was not. I, I'm not sure he was born when it was created. 1970 is now my number four. Let me start there. And then I didn't realize he did Adjustment Bureau. That I, mm, mm, eyes, you might have did a thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to knock Skyfall out and go with the... Please, anybody, if you haven't seen the Adjustment Bureau, it's early Emily Blunt. Matt Damon wears a Yankee hat at one point. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll put Adjustment Bureau as a number five and recommend it just as strongly as Oz did. Okay, I did not realize he did that. So sorry, Skyfall. But this is where having a Bond and movie expert on helps you with your list. Speaking of music, does Skyfall feature a top five original song? Now, this is where we have to compare the work of a Bond song to all the songs. It's like when we talked about Heath Ledger's Joker, where we're not just comparing it in the Pantheon to other superhero villains. We have to compare it to the rest of the Pantheon of movies, bad guys in movies. So this is going to compare Adele with Skyfall to all original songs. However, can you explain a little bit what the importance of the Bond song is? So aside from Dr. No, every Bond movie and also the other versions of Casino Royale, the every single Bond movie has had a song and it's become sort of an iconic thing where look people as big as paul mccartney have made bond songs a lot of times you get them skewing towards people who are popular in the moment and you get an aha bond song in the 80s but it's sort of a a statement of what each movie is going to be about in terms of tone and it's also uh, it's a mainstream popular thing madonna has done a bond song i mean there there are major 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 artists that have gone after this and not not in a subtle passive way you can find on the internet all sorts of artists who've pitched their own bond songs and said please i i want you to listen to this please use this for your movie and they haven't and they've really uh I, I think what they've done with Adele is a very, and I, I we're going to get to the list, but it's a very special encapsulation of what a Bond song can be, where it both captures what the movie is about 
and finds an artist who's right for the music and sort of at the peak of their powers, I, I think that uh, Adele really hits the sweet spot for what one of these can be. So there's just no chance that we have the same list. That's one. Can I get you to rank the five Craig songs? The five Craig songs. All right. So last place is uh, Quantum of Solace, which is the Oh, you don't Jack like White. the uh, Jack White, Alicia Keys? Oh, no, actually, no. I take that back. The Sam Smith one, Writings on the Wall, which he okay. acknowledged is the, uh, it, I wasn't prepared for this question. Sam you're Smith good, song. You're good. Not just the worst uh, of the Craig Bond songs, the worst Bond song that has ever been made. Whoa. I I hate it. I hate it in every way. I hated it the first time I heard it. I hated it in the context of the movie. Uh-huh. It fucking blows. It's wow. terrible. Okay. Uh, that's my number five. My number four is the Jack White Alicia Keys one from Another Way to Die from Quantum of Solace, which is quite bad. This is where it gets complicated, ranking these top three, because I actually think the other three are all among the top four or five Bond songs. So we have Adele doing Skyfall. We have Chris Cornell doing You Know My Name from Casino Royale. And we have the Billie Eilish No Time to Die song. Let me differentiate it this way. I think that the Adele song, Skyfall, is the best song. I think that the Billie Eilish, who is an artist who means nothing to me because <laughs> I am in my 30s, I saying, I'm not 17 years old. Yeah. This is not someone who means a fucking thing to me. I I can't even get through interviews with her because she's such a Gen Z person. So you're saying you're a um, fan. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. Uh, that song in the context of the movie is so fucking good. I, I was... I had like chills watching the movie in theaters by how effective it is. Uh, and I... I, I really think you know my name is is good. It fits the tone of Casino Royale, but they're all very close for me. I think Skyfall is the best objective song of them, but we have three elite tier and two absolute dogs from the Craig era. As far as original songs go, um, is it my turn? No, thank God it's your turn because I want you to be surprised. Go ahead. Your top five original songs. I'm going to keep it quick and I'm going to focus on songs that are, if not Academy Award nominated, were at least in the hunt for it because there are certain songs that came up mm. in movies for the first time and became popular. Uh, my number one is Falling Slowly from Once, which is the greatest naturalistic musical ever made. Uh, you should listen to it. It's by Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Urglova. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful Oscar performance. It's great. Can I just double down on that? It's not on my list because I knew Oz was coming through. It's my number six. It would be higher if I didn't know you were going to put it on your list. Yeah, Can I just one. say, this movie is on Netflix, on uh, Hulu. Please go see it. Oz recommended it to me when we were preparing for the show. I saw it maybe two months ago. It is a beautiful movie and this this song every time it comes up i immediately liked it on spotify yes co-sign what oz just said guys i'm the indie nerd and claudio just said watch watch the th their budget for that movie was two hundred fifty thousand dollars fifty thousand dollars to make the movie two hundred thousand dollars to record the score because it, it's it's a irish artist from the frames which is a relatively well-known band over there uh this movie is so good, and I'm yes. so excited that Andrew loves it like I do. Yes. Uh, my my number two, uh, I'm sorry if this is a basic white guy choice, is Lose Yourself from 8 Mile. Oh, my God! 
<laughs> it's my number one. No, it's fucking I great. I can't believe it. Okay, maybe our list will have more in common. I've had that song on warm-up things for all of my college athletic career, yes. for my like jujitsu competitions. I it's fucking great. I'm uh, so happy right now. <laughs> my my number three is a hodgepodge of Bond songs. I'm gonna oh, give wow. this to Skyfall. Uh, but really, if if gun to my head, you wanted me to pick Nobody Does It Better, the Carly Simon song from The Spy Who Loves Me, if you wanted me to pick You Know My Name from Casino Royale, if you wanted me to pick the Billie Eilish song from No Time to Die. Wow, okay. They're all about the same for me, and it's because, look, there's a there's a there's an integration element to this as well. They're part of the movie. They're integral to the movie. They're not just existing as something that's on the soundtrack for you to you know, spend $1.29 on iTunes for. Uh, my number four is The Wrestler from The Wrestler by Bruce Springsteen. Uh, I would also accept Streets of Philadelphia from Philadelphia here for Springsteen. But I think that when when the boss is motivated, he really brings the emotional heat to a song that he writes. And he, he captures the verve of what I think is an excellent, excellent character piece from the last two decades. And my number five, I actually think you might have this. I don't know why is uh, shallow from a star is born uh, lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper. I think it, it is really good as an independent song, like all by itself and even better in the context of the movie. Uh, and just to th- throw two others up out there, I, I know this song is canceled, but it's still good. Baby it's cold outside. <laughs> It's it's actually I, you may not know this. It's from a movie called Neptune's Daughter. Which no, came I didn't out know like that. Wow. The late the late forties. I think it won the Oscar. Really good. Uh, really really good song. And I'm gonna throw out Blame Canada from South Park. Yes, <laughs> good call. I think I think I think that is a fucking great movie song. Okay, so and like seventy Disney and Pixar movies are obviously on my yeah. Also. I put uh, as an honorable mention when she loved me by Sarah McLaughlin for Toy Story that- two. Yep, that one makes me cry every time I make a. Every time it comes up on my kids like kids Spotify playlist, I make it. I make the Alexa skip it. Oh look, we'll we'll save the whole Pixar conversation when we do a Toy Story. But the difference between me seeing Toy Story and being terrified of my toys when I came home, and then me seeing Toy Story two, and me feeling so ashamed of myself for growing up and not playing with my toys anymore, is is amazing and that is a testament to how well the pixar writes their movies and catch listen and then toy story 3 mm, mm, the tears that came out of my eyes in that movie anyway uh you you you, you did something that i didn't expect and you 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 spoiled my number one and i did not realize that you also shared the same affinity for lose yourself that i do because yes same workout playlist um I like I want to talk to Rosina about like a wedding song potentially like let's walk down the aisle after we tie the knots one day. We use the Jurassic Park theme for that moment. Oh so. really? Well so I want to walk into listen we're talking about a wedding that has not even begun to be planned. However, it's either lose yourself or the Chicago Bulls theme for the Malins Parsons project from the 90s. Anyway, Lose Yourself is my number one. So I'll just say, I don't have a Bond song on my top five. Skyfall did not make my top five. And I went a different direction because I didn't factor in whether it'd be the best original song eligible at the Oscars. I more factored in what I thought should be eligible and considered at the Oscars. And having said all that, I don't think a song 
should have been considered and then was eventually snubbed more than a little movie called Furious 7. You want to talk about a song being used? Oh, it's so good! I should pick that it's in a so movie. Good. It's Charlie see, Puth forever. Charlie Puth and Wiz Khalifa. See you again. This is the movie that infamously was uh, in the middle of filming when Paul Walker died, and so they used his brothers to play body doubles and leftover footage to reshoot the entire movie, and then dedicated the last ten minutes to an unnecessary tug on my heartstrings I as a farewell wept. i wept i was there with all dudes and we're all just yeah. sitting there oh, like yeah. you're not I, like we just nobody looked at each other just like yeah i'm definitely crying but we're not looking at each other and effective because like we're never gonna do furious seven on this show and yet the ending of that movie i would not have been surprised if they were like see you again yes that is one of the more effective songs from i guess 2013 or whenever it was even when my wife hates me as much as she ever has when that song comes on if we're at a bar or something like that she'll reach over and touch my wrist because she knows it pulls up my heartstrings so deeply whenever i hear that crooning yeah fucking great pick and i regret not taking it so fight the power by public enemy shout out to chuck d a friend of the Knicks film school podcast um, that one of the more iconic movies of the 80s and then one of the more iconic songs from movies in the 80s. Speaking of 80s songs, Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins with Top Gun. I had to. Uh, don't worry. It's fair. It's it fair. will show up in this pod one day. We will discuss the in, awesomeness in of, well, listen, when they eventually do the fucking movie, um, release the movie, I should say. Purple Rain is my number five. Um, I go back and forth, like pick a print song from that album, and I eventually just land on Purple Rain every time. Uh, Falling Slowly Again is my number six. Eye of the Tiger for Rocky Three by Survivor is my number Good. seven. Uh, and then Skyfall would be my favorite of the Bond songs, at least that I've heard. So those would be my top five original songs. This is where you grew up. Hmm. How old were you when they died? You know the answer to that. You know the whole story. Orphans always make the best recruits. Next two we're going to do together, because one of them we already know the answer to, but it's 2012 and then the 2010s. So a couple of facts about 2012. Us. There were four movies that grossed $1 billion worldwide. Do you know the four? I'm, let's see, what? What superhero movies? Does that's going to be? Uh, well, we're doing a podcast about one of them. Well, uh, yeah, obviously Skyfall, Dark Knight Rises, Avengers would be twenty twelve. That's one. That's one, two, and three. The Avengers was one at one point five billion. Skyfall's number two at one point one billion, and Dark Knight Rises at one barely, barely missed one point one, so one point oh eight billion. And the last one, I, I need. To I'll hint. give you the theater. Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers MGM. I'll give you another hint. So it's the fourth movie of in of a franchise, and the first three were filmed back to back to back, and is one of the oh the Hobbit yes Jesus. the Hobbit yeah, and been. Unexpected Journey. Um, the artist won Best Picture, and I like I challenge myself sometimes, and it's like I want to make sure I see every Best Picture winner because I want to see if the Oscars like what the Oscars considered the best movie of the year, and to this day. I have broken that rule with the artist. I refuse to watch that movie ever in my entire life. And are, are you gonna? Tell, are you in the camp of actually? It's great. I don't. I don't. I, I think it's it's a 
good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a solid like eight out of ten for me. It's just not. Is it a Mank? Best is it like I'm gonna love it if I love the industry? No, no, I love the industry more than you do, and I'm just like, yeah, that's 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 a solid good movie. Okay, wow, interesting. I'm still never gonna go see the artist, but okay. Having said that, is Skyfall a top five 2012 film for you, Oz? So let let me cheat a little and say because i know we're going to combine the categories a little here uh it's not a top five 2010s movie for me right me neither we did this in the past it's not mine either so that that category is out let, let me focus the drama then on 2012 and say that i think 2012 i i was surprised it's it's very strong on mainstream filmmaking and less strong on my usual weird like european <laughs> japanese $50,000 budget sort of movies. So uh, my number one for 2012 is a very expensive, very well done, uh, total tech masturbatory thing, which does I honestly doesn't work as well if I watch it at home as it did in the theaters. It's Life of Pi. Uh, okay. Which is Ang Lee's movie about a kid trapped on a boat with a tiger, which may or may not be real. Uh, it's in really impressive flex, especially in 3D and how it played with aspect ratios in a theater. And it just doesn't work as well at home. But in the theater, what an experience. That movie, that cinematography is the one that defeated Roger Deakins for Skyfall this year. Not a crazy choice. Uh, my number two is Zero Dark Thirty, which is a movie that has... Uh, immense political difficulties but it's a fictional movie so i prefer to judge it that way and it's really fucking good jessica chastain is amazing uh leaving the the politics of it aside it's a very good movie my number three is the master which is uh paul thomas anderson's opus uh about quasi scientology and uh it's very good and my four is moonrise kingdom which is I'm I'm not a Wes Anderson fan. I, I don't I don't like his aesthetic. I don't like what he goes for. It's just not he's not the guy for me. But I think Moonrise Kingdom. I don't want to spoil if we do a Wes Anderson episode eventually. <laughs> uh, Moonrise Kingdom might be my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I think it's incredibly effective, and I it it's one of those movies where I can remember distinctly what theater I saw it at, where I sat in the theater, what I did after I went to it. It just really sat well with me. And my number five is going to be Skyfall. 2012 is a good year though. I, I, I like the impossible. I like Django. I liked Argo. I liked even silver Linings oh. playbook, which is basic bitch as fuck. I liked Lincoln. <laughs> uh, and even let's go off the grid a little here. David Ayer, maybe not a, director who's much loved because uh the prior suicide squad movie is very bad end of watch really really good movie and part of the jake gyllenhaal assance we've been talking about mm, knocking off my honorable mentions jeez man oh fuck i'm sorry i'm no, sorry you're sorry. good you're good i thankfully you didn't see i don't think you said anything on my list oh no you did you did you said oh yeah you said most of the names on my list okay hold on so i argo fuck myself well my number four is Argo Fuck Yourself. So um, Avengers is my number five. I'm actually going to go the other direction. Argo Fuck Yourself is my number four. Um, Django Unchained, the movie we talked about two weeks ago, uh, is my number three. And then my two and number one, I you didn't say, and I'm really glad because then I can talk about them. So my number two, and admittedly, like the ending I don't love, but Flight, the Denzel movie, Starring with directed by Robert Robert Zemeckis, I think the way they shot that plane crash scene is 
they put Denzel in a cockpit and crashed a plane. It's the most realistic plane crash scene I've ever watched. And I, I, I pull it up on YouTube all the time. And like he's telling the stewardess, the black box, black box, say, I love you, Trevor. Like, yeah, I want to talk about drama. Like, yeah, Flight is an incredible movie. And then there's the rest of the movie and the investigation and really seeing what alcoholism and the struggle and the disease that it looks like and how that plays out. And then my number one, it's my only 10 out of 10 from this year. You a big Noah Baumbach guy? Uh, sometimes. I like his later work more than his early work. I think Marriage Story is a masterpiece. I do think Marriage Story is a masterpiece. I also think Francis Ha is a masterpiece. And this is uh, the movie. I don't know if he co-wrote it with Greta Gerwig, if this is the first one that he co-wrote with her. But I know that credits aside, it's very collaborative with them. This, I think, is the movie where clearly you can see he's falling in love with her (laughs) is the biggest thing. And look, this movie's grown with me over time because she was 27 and living in New York City and figuring her life out. I think one of the more accurate depictions of being stuck at a dinner table with all of your friends that have families and mortgages and have their life figured out. And you're still like, yeah, I'm paycheck to paycheck. I don't know what I'm doing with my life yet. Yeah, that was me at 27. It's one of the more relatable scenes in a movie that I've ever seen, especially at that stage in my life. I'm actually curious if I go back now at 33 to see it and be like, oh, oh, I've now graduated from that stage. Uh, it's in black and white. It's New York City. It's it's kind of brilliant, and I love it. So that Francis Ha would be my number one of that year. It, it's a beautiful choice. Look, uh, Ebert said it. I'm going to say this line a million times on this podcast. Movies are empathy machines. They're they're how you connect with other people. I saw a movie earlier today called Come On, Come On. It's a Mike Mills movie. It's basically about an uncle grappling with how how kids process memory. How his nephew will understand their relationship, how he'll remember it, how it, 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 it's, it hits for me because I think all the time about if I do this thing with my son, is he going to remember it someday? Am I going to be the only one who remembers it? Am I going to remember it? Am I going to forget it? And the grappling of, of, of what it all means of what memory is, it, it, it hits such a place for me. I totally get it. I I know Maybe it's just because we have a couple of years between us that Francis Ha didn't hit the same way for me that it did for you. But I think Marriage Story, as Bombach goes, mm, hit for me the yeah. way the way that Francis Ha did for you. Um, I I get it. Like it, the the personal connection that you form with a movie that is so evolved from emotion like that. I think it's really really important, and it's it's why it's important for everyone to expand their cinematic horizons and try try out new stuff that they might not otherwise uh, gear themselves towards. Did you relate more to while we're young? Did you have a couple of hippies that you tried to make friends with and then they stole your work? I, I, I didn't try to have a weird uh, couple swap you thing. Didn't, you didn't, you uh, weren't swinging I, with a couple of early 20-year-olds is what you're saying. No, I, 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 okay. I, I did not. Um, no, alas. Okay. Maybe, maybe my life would have been more fun with a little more Naomi Watts. But Maybe. Whatever. Or maybe some Adam Driver. Who knows? <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, 007, lots to be done. 
Are you ready to get back to work? With pleasure, M. With pleasure. Last but not least, and look, I'm just going to say mine and then duck out and pass it to Oz. Uh, is Skyfall a top five Bond movie? So I have Skyfall 1. I have Dr. No 2. I have Casino Royale 3. I have Goldfinger 4. And I have From Russia With Love 5. Oz, take the floor. Is Skyfall a top five Bond movie? All right. Uh, the answer is yes. But let me first give you an honorable mention, which is Goldfinger, which is in many ways the most iconic Bond movie. It It probably has the one of if not the best bond villain one of if not the best bond henchman it, it has the pussy galore line it it uh, aside from you only live twice it's the movie that that most defines the austin powers uh aesthetic that gets spoofed <laughs> long term you only live twice is the one that really gets killed but goldfinger is right up there i love that movie it i took my kid to it just the two of us during covid because it was one of the movies that played and shockingly nobody was like i'm gonna go to a movie in pre-vaccine covid uh (laughs) to go see a 1964 bond movie but yeah i took my kid to it i love it all right my number one is casino royale i think that casino royale encompasses all that is great about the ian fleming character i think it encompasses all that is great about the james bond film character i think in every way that you could want from this character it is perfect And I appreciate, and I get why some people don't, but I do, I appreciate that it devotes its second half to emotion and feeling and fucking and not (laughs) just action scenes that so much, I know you're laughing, No, so much of that movie is devoted to Daniel Craig and Eva Green fucking. And that's great. I, I, look, we're, we're in an era of chastity and blockbuster movies. I I long for the era of Daniel Craig and Eva Green breaking a hospital bed because they couldn't keep their hands off one another. Uh, Casino Royale is perfect. It is one of the greatest action movies ever made. It is the greatest James Bond movie ever made. I adore it. My runner up, which is I, I love in every bit the same way I love Casino Royale, but you got to pick one is from Russia with Love, which I think uh, encompasses everything that Goldfinger gets but does it in a, a crisper, tighter, West, uh, West, less cliched way. Um, it, it has a great villain. It has a great henchman. It is Connery really ascending now that it's got some money on like Dr. No. I think From Rush With Love is amazing. My number three, I, y- you never forget your first. It's not <laughs> literally my first, but it's the one that clicks for me is GoldenEye. I think GoldenEye, it, it, it has a great villain. It has a great Bond girl. It has a great villain henchman who's also a quasi Bond girl. I think it's the best that Brosnan has done. And I think that Martin Campbell is our finest Bond director. Uh, My number four is Skyfall, which is a wonderful Bond movie. It's a bit of a deconstruction of the Bond mythos, but it's also just a great Bond movie on on its own terms. And my number five uh, is on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, I thought she'd go that direction. Okay. I haven't seen it. It's on my list. Lazenby is the worst Bond. The <laughs> worst. It's not close. He's very bad. 
Everything else about that movie is amazing. Diana Rigg, who's the Bond girl, Tracy, who becomes Tracy Bond. He gets married in that movie, uh, is amazing. The action is good. There's these crazy ski scenes that actually hold up really well today. It, it is it's an emotional investment for a Bond movie. I, I I know that Carrie Carrie Fukunaga, who did No Time to Die, said that his two favorite Bond movies are Casino Royale and Honor Majesty's Secret Service. And I feel I've, I I feel in some ways much the same way on Her Majesty's Secret Service because the Lazenby gets held back. But it is really really great to give an element of humanity to this otherwise prickish, terrible human being in James Bond, who I've devoted far too much of my my <laughs> life and interest to. So top five, Casino Royale from Russia with Love, GoldenEye, Skyfall on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Did you have the GoldenEye video game for N64? I put so many yeah, hours okay. into Same. that. Uh, it's, it's, I, I, I feel a little bad about myself thinking about how many hours I put into that. I went back and forth between that and Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball. I it was it was that and uh, Super Smash Brothers. Yeah, well, for me. duh. Like, but you needed people to play Super Smash, you know. So when you have friends oh, over, I, I maxed out everything. I oh, maxed you out did. all, oh, all okay. the things with the ten targets under the time. Everything you could do in that game, I've done it. I guess Goldeneye was the same way. It was more fun when you had like your cousins or your friends over. Goldeneye is much better with multiplayer yeah. too. Okay, yeah. so let's recap. What were your scores in your final review? of Skyfall. So running through the categories, I have a third place for Mendy's direction. It did not score for me for Daniel Craig as Bond. No disrespect. I just like Casino Royale and No Time to Die better. Uh, it is my number four for Javier Bardem. My number three for Judy Dench. It is my number three for Roger Deakins in one of the toughest categories of the day. Zero points for Thomas Newman, just because of how it's how it utilizes Monty Norman and Adele's work. My number three for original movie songs. My number five for 2012. It does not rate for the 2010s. And it's my fourth best Bond movie. And it comes to a final score of what? A 17 out of 50, which is the roughly the 34th percentile. It stuff isn't precise. That that feels about right. It's it's a great movie, but it's a lesser great movie for me. Uh, I I adore Bond, but I can recognize its flaws. It's it's also a genre movie, which like we're about to hit a couple of those going forward. That you know, like just because it's great in its own specific like Bond world doesn't match it in the pantheon, which is again proof of concept. Which is why for mine, uh, my final review. Uh, for Sam Mendes movies, it's number one. For Daniel Craig movies, it's number one. For Javier Bardem movies, it's number two. For Judy Dench performances, it's number three. Then in Roger Deakins, Thomas Newman, Original Songs, 2012 and 2010s, it's zero points. And then for Bond movies, it's number one, giving me a final score of 22%. A lot of number ones and then nothing for a little bit. Uh, and then that puts it at 44%. So I think this is the best, obviously in my world, this is one of the better of the Bond movies. And if you put it in the Pantheon toward the, the bottom half of the middle, that sounds about right. Once again, proving that we know what we did. We know what we came up with here on Final Review. Before we get out of here, I am very excited to do this. I have a speed round for Mr. Bernardo Zrowski, Some a James Bond speed round. Are you ready? I am so excited for this. Okay. Favorite Bond cold open. All right. Uh, Speed round. I went with, 
I went with Spy Who Loved Me the other day, but I'm switching and saying World is Not Enough. There you go. Favorite Bond girl? Vesper Lind, Eva Green, and Casino Royale. No question about it. But Diana Rigg in On Her Majesty's Secret Service a second. Favorite Bond villain? Uh, Blofeld collectively, but Alec Trevelyan, Sean Bean, and GoldenEye is my top dog. Favorite Bond director? Martin Campbell. He did. He gave me two greats, GoldenEye and Casino Royale. Favorite M? Well, you said it already, so this is done. Favorite M is Judy Dench. Judy Dench. Okay. Favorite... All right, so we're at the big one. Favorite James Bond? My favorite James Bond is Daniel Craig. I'm sorry, Sean. I love you. I adore you. It is... It, I, I think that Daniel Craig doesn't have the the down streak on the backside that you do uh um he's he embodies everything that Fleming brings to the character and has a humanity to his performance that the Connery performance gives away to shtick rank the James Bonds number one Craig number two Connery number three I guess this is a hot take Brosnan Number four, Dalton. Five, uh, more. Six, Lazenby. Seven, uh, uh, seven will be Jimmy Nelson, who played, or Barry Nelson. Sorry, Barry Nelson, who played Jimmy Bond in the 1954. Like anybody knew that you made a mistake. The 1954 (laughs) made for TV version of Casino Royale, which was part of the show Climax Mystery Theater. And last place is Peter Sellers and like the eight other people who played James Bond in the utterly fucking garbage farce 1967 Casino Royale. Okay. The big one. Your number one choice for the next James Bond. Doesn't have to be a speed round if you got more to say. Your number one choice for who succeeds who succeeds Daniel Craig's James Bond. Let me uh First, think about throwing up on myself as I as oh, I no. consider this category because it, it's it's difficult for me because it's so it's so meaningful for me. First, let me say I, I I'm on the Barbara Broccoli Daniel Craig side of the ledger that it shouldn't be a woman, uh, not because I don't think a woman could do the part, but because Bond is a very essentially masculine character got it oz hates women we've established i that. i hate women so because <laughs> of that i i'm sorry to rebecca ferguson who could who could do the the part very well in concept i don't want you to play james bond my number five it is a oh god it is an internet spoof thing but i actually think it would work fifth place uh for me and i'm sorry to do a top five i can't help myself go ahead break is is Brett Goldstein who plays Roy Kent in Ted Lasso? Wow, no, which is a but okay. total. It's a total internet farce thing, but I actually think it would work. I think he's a good enough actor, and I think he brings this sort of prickish gravity to what he does. My fourth place is someone who I just think would do the same thing as Craig, and that's why I'm holding him back a little bit. It's that's and that's Michael Fassbender who has shown in X Men First Class in particular that he can do what Bond needs to do. He would do it very well but he would just be doing a lot of the same. My number three is uh, Yasha's favorite actor these days and someone who, good God, does he bring a lot of intensity to the roles that he takes and he would really make a lot of the internet angry if he were cast as Bond and that appeals to me is Daniel Kaluuya, who I think would do a fantastic job in the role. My number two, you want to balance your bonds between intensity and stupidity between seriousness and comedy you can even see it in the movies every time they get too stupid 
that's when they reset and find a new actor. You get your diamonds are forever. You get a new Roger Moore. You get your a view to a kill. You get your Dalton. You get your die another day. You get your Craig. Um, I think Tom Hiddleston, who wow. is a bit overplayed. Okay. And I know has the Loki thing and supposedly from the reporting has lost any consideration because of the Taylor Swift relationship, which is so silly. I, I think that Hiddleston would be a very, very good light bond. And my number one choice, because I do believe there's something to be said for the social adjustment that bond could bring of a orphan poor kid who makes good. And I think we need to look at it from a less American perspective uh, the UK's relationship with India is very complicated and with folks from that region. And for a great many years now, since I saw him in the movie Lion, but nothing he's done since from from Green Knight to Hotel Mumbai, nothing has changed where I come down on this. I think that Dev Patel hmm. would make an absolutely fantastic bond. I think he would bring a lighter, more comedic touch than Craig, which is important because you want to balance it off a little bit. But I think he has the gravity and the toughness. I think he's a handsome guy. I actually worry he's a little too short because most of the other Bonds are like 6'4 and 6'5 other than Craig. That aside, I, I think Dev Patel brings everything you want in a Bond who would bring a little bit more levity to it, who would bring a little different dimension to it, and who'd, who would address some of the social and societal issues of having nothing but very straight white dudes as bond over the years. I think Dev Patel would absolutely crush it. And I know that there's an instinct to think of him as only the kid from Slumdog Millionaire. He is so, so much more as an actor. If you haven't been following his indie work, I think he would absolutely kill it. I would much rather they find some actor I've never heard of than do a sort of milk toast. Sam Hoygan, Richard Madden, just bland as fuck white guy who would be adequate. I'd rather to just find some guy, even I don't know, rather than go that route. What are you thinking? Uh, That's I, like the most important category in the world for me, by the I way. I know, I know. I heard. I Believe me, I heard all of it. And I, the way you, you eloquently put it, I, I don't have an answer for you, but I do have a hypothetical for you. This might be what I want to see just because it'll make great content for the pod. So two years from now, it's announced Christian Bale is the next James Bond. What is Bernardo Zrowski's reaction? Burn it all down? Go fuck Actually, every... Or go fuck yourself? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, fuck that guy's method shit. But I actually think he... I don't think he's handsome enough and he's too old, but I think he'd be a pretty good Bond. Okay. I actually think he'd find the right gear, but he, he, I have him in the Fassbender camp. He'd be derivative of what Craig does. He wouldn't bring anything particularly new to the role he'd go into the darkest most miserable shit and craig at least it, it from what the rumors say craig wants to be funnier he wants to do a little more roger moore in the role and less like timothy dalton i i think that i think he'd be fine interesting i was hoping for more of a well, I'm sorry. I, I will not watch you, any of them going forward. You want you wanted I I'll quit you forever bond, but yes, there's forever. There's yes. there's no casting that will do that for me. Oh, by the way, Idris Elba, 
a more you charismatic. Also, you also don't think he's a good actor, which is a, I think a, he's an adequate actor. I but think I, he's a. I think Stringer Bell is much better than you give him credit for. That's probably where we split. Disagree. Yeah, yeah. He's very bad in a lot of movies, and I think that he brings one gear extremely well. Also. Of all the actors in Hollywood, he might be the one I'd most like to get a beer with. He's like an amateur race car driver. He made himself like a like a professional kickboxer. What a cool fucking guy. I just don't love him for Bond. I know the rumors are out there. I do not I I like your Kaluuya pick though. That that Kaluuya, would be the one of the oh, five you he'd said. He'd be so good. Yeah. He'd be so good. Also, he would make everyone so mad. Yeah. He'd make the internet so mad. Well, so- it would be great. There's something to be said for what Craig mentioned in that now you have you have more of a knowledge of the character and how it would fit better probably than I do. But there is something for what Daniel Craig said. Like, we don't need to just make a a female James Bond. We don't need to make a black James Bond, like come up with characters for people of color that like showcase them that aren't already previously done IP. Um there's also like an element of it that changes the story a bit. Cause if, if James Bond grew up an orphan and African American, then there's different context to his story. You know? Um, I just, I don't know. There's, there's something to be said for, it'd be a completely different take and different from what Fleming had in mind. I think, although your Dev Patel thought I, I could see it. I, I think, look, I, I, the gender issue is much clearer to me. I, I think that this is a masculine character. I, I once had a, a buddy in high school who sent me a long drunken essay uh, about how James Bond is actually a superhero and his magic power is that his penis can never get him in trouble. <laughs> and that is, uh, it's kind of true when you, when you think about it, he is as masculine as it gets and it simply doesn't work. Even if you get an Emily Blunt or Rebecca Ferguson, someone who could, who could absolutely kill a $200 million spy movie as the lead. I would love to watch those to be clear. Um, that's not James Bond. It's just not even remotely the essence of James Bond. Well, you get I, those I think, elements with like the Black Widow movie and the Charlie Theron movie, uh, Atomic Blonde. Atomic Blonde. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You, you, we, we can have good female spy movies. You know what works so well is when Charlize created a new character in the Mad Max universe, and now we're getting a Furiosa movie instead of a female Mad Max, and that's basically where I feel here. But it's sort of interesting to keep him as the sexist, misogynist dinosaur he is and attack the character that way. Kind of like how Marvel has used the Hank Pym character, who's deeply problematic for a a great number of ways and found a a sort of limited application for him and then spread it out in the what if shows. Um, It's a tough issue. I, I think there's a case for for a little bit of diversity here and a case for picking someone because of that diversity here. And I, I would like to see, and I am an American, but I have some knowledge of British history. I, I think that speaking about Southeast Asians and I think someone like Dev Patel better embraces a lot of the particular UK issues over the last century um, than others might. And I 
will be there for whomever they pick for the next movie, unfortunately. You're going to see it no matter yep. who it is. If it's if yep. it's me, you're going to see it. That's fine. I, I will see Andrew Claudio as the seventh canonical Bond. I will be there. The canonical. That's a word I'm, adding, I'm adding to my vocabulary. Oz, you have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, Inventionofdreams.com. Come there. There's lots of good shit, including some James Bond writing coming up on Friday. Uh, also, final review pod pretty good stuff i hope you enjoyed this episode and it wasn't too nerdy for you rate review and subscribe at final review pod on twitter and all the other social places we have things come follow us uh we're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff through october thank you for listening everybody as i said if you dig the show head on over to itunes drop a five-star rating and a review have a good weekend enjoy james bond and tune in for another final review